today we'll be talking about what is soul health and how to get in touch and stay in touch. Wow. Our guest author, Dr. Katherine Kelly, is inspiring and will be supporting us in finding out all about this key to life. Her book, Soul Health, Aligning with Spirit for Radiant Living, has been named the pioneer of soul health. And you are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show. And I'm Taz. Paula, are you too busy? Say hi. <laughs> well, okay. Dr. Kelly's trademark, the Soul Health Model, is the culmination of over 23 years of training and work within health fields, medical, psychological, spiritual, and holistic venues where she has brought to light the essential blueprint to attaining optimal health and supporting others to a healthier lifestyle in order to capture a wholesome glimpse of their soul. They may have forgotten to stand still long enough to ignite. Well, Dr. Kelly's lecture, lectures, and she gives workshops, um, is on radio and consults to hundreds of healthcare providers regionally and internationally, and is an award-winning psychologist and healer. Her training as a fellow in family and community medicine and work as director of behavioral science, both at well-known medical schools. Her master's degree in public health, her training at the Mind Body Medical Institute at Hartford University, her ownership of branches holistic health and wellness, and her ongoing work as an integrative health psychologist lead her a unique or excuse me, lend her a unique and complete new uh, way to empower others in accessing a path towards soul health. Uh, we are talking today about a call to conscious evolution. What an excellent topic to share with our listeners, Dr. Catherine Kelly. Can we call you Catherine? Absolutely, absolutely. Hello, Paula and Taz. How are you today? <laughs> Great. Hi. What a you know this book is sounds like it's right here at the right time. People really need to um, connect with their soul. Now, soul health is a, a new concept um, to many. So, could you explain to us what soul health is? Yeah, absolutely. And and you know it may be a new concept, but really it's um, it's one I think that we are revisiting. Actually, um, it's new to the modern age, but I think uh, we're kind of revisiting it. To me, soul health is getting to the deepest level of who we are in order to understand what we need or don't need in our human lives in order to feel radiant. And so, what I what I mean by soul health is the book itself talks a lot about the model that I created, which is called the Soul Health Model. And it's a model that is uh, basically a depiction of a tree with ten major branches. And those ten major branches are, are to me, the keys to the the human condition. So, in other words, the things that we really have to kind of keep in mind and balance as we are um, really going through life and trying to find uh, what it is that I, I call them ingredients oftentimes, but what are the ingredients that we need in order to feel grounded and balanced and radiant and good at all times. And the soul health part of that is reaching down into our soul through that that term, the conscious evolution, in order for us to really access what we really need and don't need as unique individuals. And I think that that right there is the key is the unique individual because 
our society has really kind of taught us to follow the flock, whereas a lot of people don't really resonate with that. They're they're not happy following the flock in many different ways. And so to me, again, kind of a long story, but the soul health is about really knowing yourself at that deepest level in order to create the life that really fits for you for for radiance. Hmm. Well, your soul health aligning with spirit for radiant living, your book, is such a really an empowering book. And could you please share the story behind your book and how it came to be? Absolutely. It, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I think in retrospect a lot of people can look back and see their journey and how it kind of landed you where you are. When I was um well, I can tell a personal story a little bit later, but but the professional part of this is when I was in my master's program for my my um, counseling degree, I was also at the same time simultaneously employed at um, a student health promotion department within the same university. And in that position, I was actually being taught about wellness models. And we were using those wellness models to go out into the campus community and teach about what actual wellness was. Now, what's interesting to me is that in the midst of my counseling program, we weren't taught anything about wellness. And, and you know, now to me that is so counterintuitive. You know, we were learning counseling skills. We were learning psychological tools. We were learning theories and things like that. But we were never taught what wellness actually is. And so for me, I felt very blessed and lucky because as I was going through my psychological training, I was also being infused with this whole idea of wellness and radiance. Um, I use the word radiance. but And so what ended up happening for me over the years and working with individuals and listening day in, day out to what they are dealing with within their, their lives, their, their human condition, I took those models which which the majority of them have maybe four, five, or six different components to them that they consider to create um, sort of wellness or health. And to me, I realized that there were several branches missing. And so for me, these these ten branches that evolved over time really became key with what I do with individuals, what I do with workshop participants, and so it was really kind of ironic how the evolution happened because um, I was placed in the right place at the right time to have the wellness model infused into me at the same time that I was really learning the psychological care. And so my my practice really, um, I think, was enriched, and I started to see people as the whole person rather than just the psychological aspect from their lives. And so a few years ago I had finished what I called the whole health model but then I started realizing that there was a deeper part of it, and the soul health model part of that came from the fact that I don't think we can balance each one of those branches unless we know ourselves at that deepest level. And so getting to know your soul really is, to me, your pathway or your blueprint um, and journey to radiant health. You have to know yourself at that, that deepest level. And so this whole depiction of the tree shows um, a lot of movement, it shows a lot of growth and a lot of um, kind of life behind it. So you're right when you say it's it's kind of an empowering kind of thing. I, I really want people to take this individually and apply it to themselves rather than feeling like someone's trying to define what health is for them. <laughs> Do you think your book is going to change the way um, 
uh, counselors work? I hope so. I really hope so. What I can say is that it's already helping the way physicians and other medical providers work because I'm doing a lot of continuing education workshops for healthcare providers and um, it, and obviously therapists, psychologists, social workers attend those, and they are taking the information and running with it. And I'm also just so excited about how well it's being embraced in the health field because I think, <laughs> you know, our, our healthcare system has had a lot of bad press lately because, um, or maybe accurate press, I should say, um, about how disjointed it is. But now healthcare workers are realizing that they need to start looking much more at the whole person as well in order to be more effective. So I do think within many different professions, it's it's being embraced, and that's really fun and exciting to me because, you know, again, as as I evolve and as this model evolves, um, I'm hoping to help other practitioners and other um, systems evolve as well. Yeah, I like that that connotation, the call to consciousness. <laughs> I like yeah. that. You know, um, it, it, I really like the visual aspect of the tree image. That's really, I just love it. It just tickles me to think about that because I can feel like, okay, can my root go all the way down into the ground and grow and really be, you know, stable in how I energize myself. And uh, it's, you know, it's, really a nice visual um, security blanket to hold on to, you know? It's, well, it's, it's learning to re-energize yourself and keeping centered. And, yeah, and absolutely. And I wanted something that was inspiring and um, educational at the same time. And yet, you know, one of the other graphics I have both in the book and I also use for workshops is, you know, I went back to my graphics person and said, you know, that beautiful tree you created, I need you to create one that doesn't look so beautiful so people can really relate to how they feel at different parts of their lives. And then I I present it sort of in a um, progression of looking at the kind of wilty, you know, painful-looking tree to helping them see that it is entirely possible to create a more vibrant and healthy life, but that it takes that conscious evolution. It takes that willingness to really look at their life and choose differently. So um, I just did a workshop a couple weekends ago, and uh, the very first slide I flashed up there was the not-so-healthy-looking tree. (laughs) And everybody in the room (laughs) could relate to having felt that way at least one point in their life. And then when I flashed the next slide, which was this model, everybody's like, yeah, that's what I want. And so we went about creating, um, I call it a soul health plan. And that, that there's a whole chapter in the book about creating a soul health plan. But it was one of those things where, you know, everybody wants to feel more vibrant. I don't know anybody who doesn't have something in their life they could improve upon. So. Well, well, feeling I'm, alive, you know, within. I mean, feeling, feeling moment to moment, um, um, and aliveness, and people kind of go around numb <laughs> a lot of the time. Yeah, you know? or or, or intentionally just, blinded. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I I can give an example. I mean, I, I'm as you're talking, I'm thinking of like if you have the wrong job, you're going to a job every, you know, five days a week that you really hate. That is going to be, and it's not in tune to your soul. That is going to create illness. Oh, certainly. And it's not just physical illness. 
you know, the the way that this tree um, is depicted, and, and for those of you who want to take a look at the tree, you can just go to thesoulhealthmodel.com and it'll pull it up immediately. Um, but the whole point of this tree, and you hit it right there, is that there's no way that one of these branches that is um, neglected or hurting, it, there's no way it couldn't impact the rest of our lives or, in this case, the rest of our tree. And so the whole point is, actually there's a dual point, is knowing that it's going to affect the rest. And then secondly, that if you have the rest of the tree balanced out for for you know, for all intents and pur- purposes, that that particular branch that's hurting won't feel as bad as if it as if the other branches were um, not doing well. So it's a it's a multi-dimensional kind of thing. Is that if you know that nine out of your ten branches are feeling pretty vibrant, then yeah, that one branch is still going to have an impact, but not so much as if it would if those other branches weren't balanced. Does that make sense? Well, the thing yes. is. Yeah, but it, the thing is, too, you know, when we have covered our bases, we feel good about ourselves. And Certainly. In other words, we've taken time out to 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 really go into a depth. And like you say, I love your term, steward to our soul. <laughs> I mm-hmm. love that term that you have. Uh, it's it's really beautiful. It, they're loving words, you know, how we can be to ourselves. And, wow, you, you've just done such a great job on bringing this forth. I, it, it, it offers a lot. You, you have a monthly newsletter and you have a blog too, don't you? I do, I do. Yeah, every month I send out a um, kind of a... It, it depends on if it's a time of the year or a seasonal kind of thing, but oftentimes... Uh, since I do a lot of client work, I listen for sort of themes that are happening in people's lives, and so I try to create an article every month that seems to be the theme of the the month <laughs> that seems to make sense, and um, put a little article in there, put a little bit of general information, and then I I have all of my events uh, and talks and workshops listed there too, and then the blog itself. Um, again, I do the same thing where I kind of listen to the the world and the universe to see what needs to be addressed, and then I also, of course, listen within myself to see what I feel needs to get out there. But it's great fun because uh, every day I hear someone who said, oh, gosh, I read your newsletter, and you know this is what I'm using it for, and it's been a lot of fun. I had a client do that yesterday, and he, I had only seen him once before he received this uh, most, the most recent newsletter, and so it's wonderful to hear that you know people are reading it and putting it to, to use right away. And you have personal assessments that pe- you know people can work with you from a distance. Sounds like I and do, uh, I do, and in fact, I'm I'm finalizing a booklet um, that is coming together for uh, my graphics person already finished the the cover. But I have a um, a booklet that is includes all of the assessments that are in the book, and then some more information and. Um, not so much journaling, but some some questions and some uh, kind of workbook type activities in there that will help really pull some of this together as an individual assessment. And also, um, a lot of healthcare professionals are asking me to create one that they can provide to their clients as well. So, lots of things in the works, and um, it's been it's been great fun to see how this thing evolves. So 
So if you take, a, a, for example, if you take a, a client on that's across the United States from where you're at, the first is that the first thing you have them do is the um, evaluation. One of the things that I, I I'm a real talk person where I really want to develop a relationship with the folks that I work with, and so I do more of a talk session the first session. Um, and then I kind of assess what they really need because there's so many dimensions of this model that I can put to use that I really listen first to what I think is going to be the most helpful for them. So there are individual assessments that um, each one of the branches of health has, but then there's a more comprehensive assessment for the whole model. And then there are different activities. Um, like I said before, there's a soul health plan I can create with people. There's a soul health mission uh, statement that I can help people create. And then it's a mixture between really having um, them go to that deep level to see if there's some healing work that needs to be done that is hindering them from feeling radiant. Or it might just be a coaching perspective of helping people kind of get themselves through each one of the steps in order to really create their sense of radiant health. So it's really just, it's very individualized. And that's, to me, the whole point is, you know, we're very unique souls, and so I I don't really do a cookie-cutter approach with anybody. Catherine, you talk about using gut responses to uh, lead us down the path to radiant health. How is this helpful? Well, you know, my thought is that our gut reactions are the cleanest reactions we have. You know, our heads can be very muddled and they can lead us astray. Our hearts can be very muddled and they can lead us astray. But our gut reactions are very clean and crisp and there's like no drama whatsoever to them. And so I try to teach clients and uh, workshop participants to really access that deepest part of them because to me that gut reaction really is the voice of the soul. You know, it's, I jokingly say it's kind of like our, our own personal GPS system because our, our gut really just goes straight to the point of what we need. But oftentimes, I believe anyway, that our heads override that gut reaction, mm-hmm. make us question ourselves, make us talk ourselves into or out of something that doesn't really feel right for us. And so What's if we can see... Um, it, it's a little bit about instinct, but it's really a much deeper kind. To me, it's a deeper context because instinct is more of a reactive kind of thing, whereas to me, our, our gut reactions or our soul reactions are very responsive. So we respond from a deeper level. Um, one of the one of the best things that or best metaphors that I use with people, or at least I enjoy it, is that you know we many of us have had those screen doors that are part of maybe a sliding door or a back porch or something. And we all know when something is, when our lives are gliding along, and we all know when they're not gliding along. So I remember it perfectly. My mom still has this this little screen door that if it gets off that little track, you know, it, it, it it's very challenging to open that, that screen door or close that screen door. It skips along. It's There's friction. And really, when you listen to that voice of the soul, you know, that responsiveness, then everything in your life just kind of glides. There's there's not a whole lot of friction there. It just kind of goes right along, and there's you just get that, that inner sense. So, you know, I think about uh, uh, kind of an instinct being more 
in terms of we have an instinct to maybe uh, shut our eyes if something's uh, kind of coming at them, whereas really listening to our soul is, a, is really listening to the response that fits the best for us at any given time. Well, is, is there um, things that we can do to practice listening to our soul? You know, I list several in the book. Um, one of my favorites that I teach people, and I actually use this very much for myself, is, and this was the very first thing that I learned to do, was to ask myself a yes-no question. Because, again, when if you ask yourself, what does my gut tell me to do, sometimes there's still too much static involved. But if you have an option that you're considering and you literally ask your gut, yes or no, am I supposed to do this? You usually get a little bit more of a very a clean-cut kind of reaction. Um, so that is one thing that I really encourage people to do to start tuning into their soul is to step back, clear their heads as much as they can, and just ask from that deep level, does this feel right, yes or no? And then secondly, another one that works really well, another question is, what would I regret more, option A or option B? And listen from that that gut reaction of what feels right and what doesn't. Because this is more of a sensation than it is a thought process. And I tend to tell people that um, if they're thinking too much about it, if they're taking too much time to sense that sensation, then it's really not a gut reaction or a soul reaction. It's much more of a thought process. And so I can tell that they're filtering. So I lead them back to listening to that deep level of their their soul, which to me is your ultimate consciousness. Some people use uh, uh, muscle testing. Would that be the similar? Um, I think it is. The The only difference with that is that muscle testing is an unconscious process. Whereas I really encourage people to be much more conscious. You know, I use, I use, you know, I kind of make sure that people are using the human part of their awareness in addition to just using that sensation that comes up at any given time. But yeah, muscle testing is usually much more of an, a, an unconscious process where your body is kind of um, leading you, whereas to me this is much more of a conscious process. So if someone takes too long to answer <laughs> answer their question themselves, is that usually a no? It's not so necessarily a no. Look at it? Well, okay. it's, I was going to say, it's not necessarily a no. What it might be is there might be too much static in their head that they're trying to talk them in, themselves in or out of something that their gut is telling them. So you're right. In some cases it is that they don't want to look at it. You know, they, they're filtering, um, but it's usually, it, it's really fascinating because when you do this spontaneously with a client or in a workshop setting, you can almost tell whether they're coming from their heads or whether they're coming from their gut just because of even how they're, you can visually see that they're they're kind of working too hard in their heads to come up with an answer. So just like... <laughs> The picture of the tree, you know, you want to anchor your your truth deep down within within you, you know, so that you know you mentioned earlier that you know you wondered how deep you know, how deeply those roots could could reach and anchor, and it's really reaching down to that deep part of you to access the information you need. 
and, and really being silent. I mean, really be willing to just kind of almost drop in there like a dream type of thing and go down and and um, explore maybe, huh? Yes, and, and allow the information to come up rather than search for it. Can jur- yeah. journaling help this? Absolutely. I am a huge um, uh, supporter of journaling. Uh, I definitely don't think I would be where I'm at. Um, and actually, for some people, you can access the information a little bit better if you actually write out the question on paper. What does my gut tell me? And then you just write out whatever comes first to you. So for some people, you do access it a little bit better by writing out these kinds of questions and, and really flushing it out. And, and I actually really encourage handwriting those kinds of things rather than typing because we use a different part of our brain to type than we do to write. And we use more of our brain. You know, it, it, it's, it's still going to be a little bit muffled because we use more of our brain to type because we have to focus differently. So you really want the most simple um, conduit, I guess, to that real truth. Now, there's different kinds of personalities. Um, Some people that it's just a habit. Well, I don't know if it's a habit, but it takes them a long time to make a decision, and then other people make a decision immediately. I'll give you a real simple example. When my husband and I go out, for dinner, let's say, I immediately know what I want, and mm-hmm. he takes forever. He goes, I don't want, I don't, want, you know. He's really like. <laughs> so those are two different personalities. So, do they work differently in this your system? You know, I think that's a great question, but I think that's asking something that's a little different than this because we're talking. You're talking about decision making, and I'm talking about truth. Okay. So that deepest sense of of who you are, and my guess is you probably have a deeper sense of what you want than he does. So you automatically go there quicker to make the decision. And so if he's questioning... No, that's what I was trying. I'm sorry? Yeah, that's what I was trying, yeah, that's what I was trying to get to. That, that's, yeah. yeah. Either that or, or maybe he's searching for something more fun to eat and he doesn't know where to go yet. <laughs> or maybe he's battling with himself because he knows he should eat something healthy, but he's wanting something unhealthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. well, I call that soul-based eating, is that when you listen to what your soul needs, usually um, a lot healthier than what our brains tell us we want. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I know somebody that um, kind of would like stop and listen to their body to see mm-hmm. what their body needs today. So that's, this is kind of what oh, you're like talking that. about, right? Absolutely. That's a perfect example because to me they are practicing soul health at that moment because oh. they are listening to what their their physical aspect of their body needs, which will help positively affect all of the other aspects. So uh, this using your soul is in all aspects of your life. Absolutely. And and as I mentioned, you know, there are ten major branches that I think, you know, many of us don't even pay attention to. But to me, and I I think I pay attention more to them because I hear people talk about these day in, day out uh, for eight to ten hours a day. And um, 
but most people, if if they look at this model, they're like, oh gosh, I I I never really think about that, or gosh, I really need to think about that. And so, yeah, these ten major key elements of whole health or soul health, I think, are um, imperative for us to look at in order to really ground ourselves and and reach that that sense of um, really who we are, that sense of that sense of radiance. Do you want? Uh, could you give the our listening audience uh, tell them what the ten branches are? Sure, sure. When most people think about health, they automatically think about the physical aspect. So, of course, that is one of the major branches. And as a psychologist, of course, I also think about the psychological part. So that is a major branch. And then the other eight, and I'm just going to go ahead and list them, um, no particular order. Um, we have the environmental branch, the intellectual or occupational branch, the financial branch, the sexual branch, the recreational branch, the social branch, the inter- interpersonal branch, and then the spiritual branch. And to me, all of these have a very um, important interplay between all of them because, again, one affects the other and so it is a dynamic, um, really, that we have to kind of pay attention to. So as, as you know, one of you mentioned earlier, that if you are in a really awful situation at, at work, it's going to start affecting those other um, nine branches in one way or another. Some, and oftentimes, unconsciously, you don't even realize that it's affecting those things. But uh, those ten branches, to me, are really all of the, the major branches that have to be of illuminated in order for us to really reach that sense of wellness or radiance that we all really want. So how many of us walking around actually have all our branches, you know, up and firing? Well, you know, and it's interesting because when I, (laughs) I laugh at this too, when I do workshops, um, about half of the group says that they feel pretty okay. Not that it's a perfect tree, but but they feel like it's pretty okay. And about the other half usually says that there's one to three or four or maybe more branches that need work. But the thing I try to emphasize to people is that this is yet another journey. This is not a destination. And really this model is, like you mentioned earlier, it's something to keep you looking ahead and working toward rather than feeling like, okay, you check it off the list, you're there and you're done. Because that doesn't happen, (laughs) as we all know. (laughs) And the other part of that is, you know, I I continually use metaphor because I think they can be so helpful and powerful, is that, you know, just like a tree, we all go through storms in life. We all go through times when, you know, something hit us that we weren't expecting and we feel wilty or we feel like we've been struck by lightning or we feel, you know, like we're really being blown around. And that's normal and natural. You're not supposed to feel 100% radiant during those times. But one of the things I try to emphasize throughout the book is really helping people realize that those storms are wonderful ways to reassess what we need or don't need in any given time and maybe even transform our tree into something that's better than what it was before. So I try to help people look at those um, conditions, those situations of the human condition, as opportunities 
to really grow and evolve beyond whatever it is that they were dealing with before. So I'm, I'm kind of, as you can tell, the perpetual Pollyanna, uh, where I, I really look at life as um, a series of lessons and opportunities to grow and evolve. And so, like you said, not everybody's tree is going to look um, pretty and well-trimmed and pruned and vibrant um, at any given time because we're all in different storms of life or places in life. This is just sort of the blueprint for how to feel more radiant. So um, for those of you who are getting overwhelmed with the idea of trying to work on all this, that's really not the point. The point is just to have something in mind for how to how to get there. Well, to re-energize and flex your uh, your branch. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of <laughs> uh, talk about a little exercise. I think that branch needs a little more energizing, <laughs> you know. Well, I could see yeah. where if somebody's carrying something like anger, maybe a lot of anger from a past relationship, or that it would affect all the branches. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah, the mindset has a huge amount to do with, you know, your perception of life has a huge amount to do with um, not only how you evolve and or don't evolve, but um, how each one of those branches is affected. Which, again, like I said, being, being a psychologist, if there's something deep that we need to heal before a person can really work on this, I have to start there. Okay. So, Start working at the, at the root. <laughs> sure. Or the wounded yes. part of us, whatever that might be. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, when you're talking to, you said earlier that you were, you've been giving workshops um, to the health industry. Uh, are doctors, uh, I, I've been working with a lot of nurses. I know nurses are like really into this type of thing, but mm-hmm. are doctors accepting this? You know, what I have found, yeah, and these workshops are, of course, self-selected because you have to sign up for them and, um, you know, you do get continuing education credits, so there's there's some incentive. Um, I, have, I have had physicians, psychiatrists, surgeons, clergy, PAs, nurse practitioners, physical therapists, recreational therapists, um, of course, many different um, types of nurses, um, a little bit of everything, really, as far as the healthcare profession, and and they are really embracing this. Not only, I think, for their own lives, because this is a whole new paradigm in some ways, but at the same time, it's a very tangible one for folks. It's just the the you know the graphic of the tree really kind of explains it all. Um, but they are embracing it, and and I think their biggest challenge is trying to figure out how their workplaces are going to be. How, how they are going to implement it within their workplace. Um, and, and, again, one of the things I try to emphasize to them as healthcare practitioners is that it really just takes a little bit of time to educate a person on how to use this model, and then from that point on, you just touch base on it. Um, I have a client who, and I love this story, she told me one day, a couple, oh, probably a couple months after we started working together, that she taped a copy of the... Uh, soul health model up in her laundry room so that when she's folding laundry, she can glance up at it and sort of do a very quick scan of where she needs to hone in on in order to help herself move along. 
And I've had physicians use this in the same way where they will keep little copies of it here and there um, for both themselves and for clients. And people will put them in um, checkbooks or calendars or wherever it's easily accessible. And um, so it, it seems like no matter what the practitioner um, that or person, that they're able to grasp it and embrace it and take it to whatever level they need to. Well, I would think with doctors, time um, might be the biggest issue because Absolutely. doctors don't have time now to talk to their patients and know their patients. Right. And I would think that this is, you know, they need to be, be able to do this in order to use your um, your soul. <laughs> well, you know, and... And I think I think that's a really good point, and that may be one of the challenges. But I think, like anybody, any other practitioner, once you learn and live something, you can teach it pretty quickly. And then also, I think once you learn and live it, you implement it into whatever you do anyway. Um, this book is actually, even though I teach it to healthcare practitioners, this book is really designed for the individual to start empowering themselves because I think that is one of our biggest challenges within healthcare, and you, you nailed it, is that physicians or other healthcare practitioners have so little time that they can spend with patients. You know, I think the average within a primary care office is five to seven minutes that they actually spend with their physician, which to me is really sad. <laughs> That's not a whole lot of time for a um, whole health assessment to happen. And so this book is really designed chapter by chapter to help individuals empower themselves, get to know themselves, become advocates for themselves for their overall health rather than feeling like they are um, having some of these aspects of themselves dismissed. So really this book is kind of a mixture between a a workbook and a book uh, in order to help people really, again, kind of embrace it for themselves and then not only take it in their physician's offices uh, with their mindset, but really walk through life with this whole idea of what they can consciously do at any moment to to feel better. Well, even if the well, health, I was just going to say, even if the health practitioner just could recommend the book, that would be the first step. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a you know, I, there's a feeling that that I get off the book. It's it's like a gentle coaxing, and I it's there's no good or bad aspects. I mean, you know, sometimes people want to say, "Oh, that's bad. That's failure. That's whatever." But this is like a gentle caring for your for your soul. You know, literally, and. It's coaxing and it's loving and it's going, oh, my gosh, just take a look at it, see. And I I think it's kind of catchy. It's like catchy to realize that your roots can go down and nourish you in different ways. And I think this is just so tangible. Like you say, I love it. Thank you. This is like a fun way for for growing, you know. Yeah. Well, and, you know, there are so many negative messages about health out there. And yeah. and to me that, you know, is really counterproductive. And so, you know, this is, you know, I, I really did want, and, and I love the words that you use, the gentle coaxing. 
really what I really wanted people to feel is that you know soul health is unconditional. You know, there, this is not about judging that one of your branches is really out of whack. <laughs> this is more about gently, like you said, assessing it and going, hmm, what can I do about that? You know, this is not about some yeah. of the harsh, I think, criticism of, you know, a lot of the um, messages we get about health. This is this is much more about, again, really aligning with yourself and partnering with yourself and your soul to grow and evolve and to feel better regardless of all of those awful messages that we get in the, you know, a lot of the um, the media right now about, you know, the, the perfect body type or, you know, what kind of diet to follow or, you know, what kind of friends you should have or whatever. And this is really not about that. This is This really is about getting to know yourself at that deepest level and really embracing your own uniqueness. Now, most you people have... want to grow anyhow. But, uh, don't don't you find that most people want to uh, uh, to evolve? <laughs> most people want to grow. Well, you know, you would you would hope, but out of all truth, you know, there are those that either are unconscious and have no idea that they have any impact on the world or on their own lives. I mean, it's kind of scary. Um, but there are many people out there that aren't as um, forward moving. And yet, you know, in the book, I also talk about. I've been, I've been thinking a lot about this because, um, well, for lots of reasons. But in the book, I talk about the fact that our most natural state is that of unimpeded growth. Meaning that, you know, just like a tree, you know, trees are programmed through their own DNA to keep growing no matter what. So if there is a fence in the way, they're going to grow around the fence. You know, if there is a um, uh, a sidewalk that has been built over them, well, they're going to push up that sidewalk with those roots because they're just they're going to keep growing. That's what they do. But people don't always do that. You know, there's so many people who are stuck, so many people who are avoidant, some so many people who are denial. But there are those that want to consciously keep moving and growing and. So I think, you know, what I what I have tried to do is create a blueprint for people to just gently, as you said, take themselves to the next step and evolve beyond whatever circumstances or situations that they had dealt with before. But, you know, that's why I really impress upon people the whole idea of conscious evolution because in order to grow, we really, as humans, we have to be willing and interested in doing it. Earlier you said you had a personal story. Uh, Is this a good time to tell it? Sure, sure. And (laughs) I have to laugh because uh, this has become, I kind of had an aha moment in the midst of preparing to start the media tour for this book because um, I was preparing the information for the media kit and um, really kind of taking a look at this model and realizing that Really, I think for me, my own journey has been, I think, looking looking like this tree. Um, and what I mean is that when I was nine years old, my father had an accident that medically disabled him. And when you're nine years old, you don't entirely know what's going on. You just know it's not good. And so in retrospect, I can see this so much more clearly now, of course, but In retrospect, I really am able to look back and see how 
my own human condition was shaped, my own life was shaped by that experience because his tree at that point of the accident was really shaken and blown around and broken in many ways. And what that does to the trees around them, meaning the family, um, is really shake and break and you know um, hurt those those trees. So metaphorically, what I have realized is that that whole experience of, of his accident didn't, of course, only affect him, but affected everybody around him. And so I think for me, I started creating this model at nine years old without realizing it because I saw a pretty happy, comfortable family of five kids and two parents really get shaken. My mother had to go back to work because my dad couldn't. Um, My dad was home all the time. He became pretty depressed with his life. Um, You know, the, the whole shifting of what happened within that dynamic, I think I started without realizing it. I think I started writing this book way back then. Um, because just understanding the human condition at such a deep level and how fragile it can be, but how vibrant it can be if you create it as such, I think really got imprinted in, upon me back then. He died when I was 21, so he did not make it beyond my... my. I, he didn't see me graduate from college. But um, I think as my own consciousness and evolution and awareness has a has unfolded, I now understand much, much more deeply how our human condition, in other words, these ten branches, everything that happens within our life, um, really impact, you know, our overall sense of well-being, but also that soul part of us, that that a willingness and that um, stewardship, that, that deep willingness and commitment to listen to yourself is really what it takes in order to create your own radiance. Because if you let life happen to you and dictate where your life is going to go, you're probably not going to be in such a positive place. <laughs> so that that personal story has become, literally within the last couple of months, I've become more and more aware of the fact that um, how much of an impact that incident in my life at age nine is having on me creating this model now. Well, I'm sure you could see how it affected your siblings also. All of the above. I can look back and understand so much more the paths that they took because of which branches that they attended to or didn't. Um, and same thing with my mother. So, yeah, it, it's, um, you know, people who think just because I wrote this model that the human condition does not affect me. <laughs> um I am not exempt. Um, I'm not exempt from dealing with with life. So, it's. Uh, I think this this model has been very, you know, important for lots of reasons, and one of which is just really realizing the impact. So, it helps explain well, a lot. Speaking of the impact, was there any um, uh, impact on a personal? person you were working on that just astonished you? I mean, it was like, blew your mind that it it actually helped to such a degree? You know, I think what, what I think the most tangible um, explanations or um, descriptions I can give are those people who come in with physical symptoms. I get a lot of clients 
referred to me for um, pretty difficult physical situations because because it, since I've been trained in so many health environments, um, you know, a lot of physicians and PAs and other health practitioners in the area know that I do health psychology. But what I help a lot of them do is interpret what their physical symptoms mean as far as the rest of their tree. And, you know, I can list person after person after person, really, that once we start digging into the kind of emotional manifestation of the physical kind of concern, that their eyes just light up and they start to realize that a lot of their physical health problems could be fixed by working on either their psychological or their social or their interpersonal, and that all of these, um, quote, physical symptoms they have are really manifestations of the other parts of the tree. So um, I I have it almost every day where I have someone look at me like, wow, okay, I didn't realize that this was attached to this other part of my life. So that's why this is sort of a systems approach to a different kind of systems approach to overall health. I hear it all the time. <laughs> it's It'd be hard for me to pick out one because I think from a physical perspective, I see it almost every day. It's like take off the tourniquet on that branch. <laughs> right. Ah. Right. Or understand oh it at gosh. least from a different level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So once you understand why you have a physical disability, say, does a physical disability um, become better? Oftentimes, yes. It may not entirely, depending on what it is, but oftentimes it does improve incredibly. And um, because, you know, say for instance, you know, diabetes is rampant, you know, of course, in our country. And yet the physical interpretation for diabetes is that you've lost, you've lost the sweetness of life. And so there's oftentimes depression or uh, sadness or something else that is connected, um, like a dual diagnosis with diabetes. Not always, but often. And usually you can dig down to figure out what that is and what's causing that, and oftentimes that can shift. I have one client in particular, actually, that I saw today, and I've worked with her for years um, for emotional eating kind of concerns. And she could not break the cycle, but it was also the case that she was brought up by a very, very, very controlling father who was really masterful at emotional abuse. And we worked really hard to help her detach a little bit from his abuse, or I should say a lot from his abuse. But he was so powerful in her life that even after her mom died, there was a whole lot of influence over her. And what's interesting about it is she, um, I think it was about six months ago now that he passed away. And, of course, that was very difficult for her. Um, but I said to her at one point, <laughs> and um, she brought it up not too long ago, but I said to her at one point that I'm curious what it's going to do for her now that her father's negativity is not around in terms of her emotional eating. And what's fascinating is that she has lost She told me um, two sessions ago, she's lost 90 pounds. Oh, wow. And she said, I don't even think about food anymore. I I have to remind myself 
that I eat three square meals a day. I don't overeat. I don't um, I don't go snack. I don't go to the store for the three or four muffins that I used to before and eat them on my way back to work. I don't. She said I don't do any of that anymore. And she said I remembered you asking me that. Um, but she said she does no emotional eating whatsoever. So her weight and her diabetes were very related to the influence of the emotional abuse by this guy. And now that he's gone, there's none of that happening. So it went away almost overnight. And this woman is not depressed. She's not. It's fascinating. I mean, a lot of people would say, oh, she's just depressed. That's why she's not eating. She, this woman is not depressed. She's relieved. And um, she was in today, actually. And she's, I asked her how her her glucose numbers were and she said you know they're kind of all over the place and I said you know I kind of wonder if it's because you don't need the insulin anymore and that your body's just trying to tell you that you know you need to do something so she's actually going to be seeing an endocrinologist next week and um, but that is you know 90 pounds within six or seven months is pretty impressive when there's absolutely no emotional eating going on anymore sure is I was going back. I was thinking back as you were talking about her uh, diabetes runs in families sometimes, but maybe it's because of the emotional stress one of the family members put on. Or I mean, it could be not just because of the DNA. Right, the sweetness of life within the family might be really off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, when I hear medical studies on the national news, I always question from sort of a a more holistic perspective what's really going on because, you know, our modern-day research is probably too cut and dried to really understand the whole dynamic of what's happening. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, there there are chords and themes and streams and everything else that probably attach a lot of those genetic, so-called genetic or familial kinds of concerns. And, and they blame it on fast food, but if people are unhappy, they go to fast food because they can get happy fast. <laughs> right. <laughs> Those literal happy meals. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> well, okay, and, and, let me ask you, are you up for a new book or, or what's happening here? Are, are I, you, I, uh, have, I, I laugh when people ask me this because this is the first book I've finished, but but it is the third one I've started. <laughs> so I have at least two more that I've already started. Um, I do have one that I'm planning to have finished mid-year of next year, um, if not sooner, um, and then hopefully be out by the end of next year. And what that one is is really taking soul health to the next level in, in terms of how do we really um, – I call it master the human condition. So to me, soul health is part of it. But the next book is is going to really help people understand, I call it a 3D perspective, much more of a 3D perspective of why things happen. So I talk a lot about the um, influence of family dynamics on on how, how our soul health really is um, attainable within you know our own individual lives. Um, I also talk about how I kind of laugh at this because um, it's a it's a abstract com, uh, construct, but how family dynamics. You know, we we all have families that we, you know, we have situations where it's like, now where did this person come from? <laughs> 
whether it's an extended family member or whatever. And I talk a lot about from sort of the soul perspective why we are drawn or not drawn to certain people and um, why we're supposed to learn certain things from certain situations. And so I know this all sounds very vague, but it all makes sense in the next book because it's it's about illuminating a lot about, um, I think, what we deal with on a kind of a more abstract level, but the soul health model really needed to come out first so people could anchor themselves and understand their own uniqueness. And then the next book is going to extend it out to understanding how our uniqueness is affected or how we affect other people's uniqueness. So it's it's it takes it out quite a bit or quite a bit further. Um, and then I have another book that I'm writing on how to use um, regret as a positive thing, not so much a negative thing. Um, because I think if we learn to live without regret but examine the regret from our past, we can really learn to evolve beyond where we were at the time. So a lot of both, pretty much everything I write is about being conscious in our evolution. Yeah, that's that's really important too. So um, on your second book that's coming up, are you saying that we attract people in our lives that help us evolve? Yes, I do believe that. I think we are drawn magnetically to certain people, that there's something about them that, and I think sometimes we misinterpret it as falling in love or we misinterpret it as something. Um, Now, I'm not saying that we're not falling in love, but what I'm saying is oftentimes we're magnetically drawn to people, but that we are magnetically drawn in order to learn some major things. Because we've all had people who, whether it's friends or lovers or whomever, that we're so drawn to and we think, oh, this is it, this is it. And then we have some major thing happen that that tears them apart or breaks them apart. But really, I do believe that that we are supposed to learn something from every single person that comes into our life in a significant way. So I do think that we are uh, drawn. I'm sorry, go ahead. Or... I was going to say, or the opposite. Um, you're you're in, a, in the same family, say, and and then you just don't you don't want to be around that person, even though they're blood related. Um, and so that creates turbulence. So that's an that's the opposite way of of learning, Certainly. isn't it? Certainly, yes, yes, and you have to become conscious of why you're not drawn to them or why it's not working to try to relate to them. Absolutely. And I guess all I'm saying is that whenever we have interactions with people, um, that is really our, our best place that we grow because we have to really examine why are we getting along with this person or not getting along with this person? You know, what is it that we're supposed to become aware of? Right. Because, like, there's a, a group of people, and there's uh, in within this group, I mean, she's an acquaintance, but it's like, always irritates me. So I need to look at why she irritates me. Yeah, look at what you're supposed to learn from having interactions with her. Because maybe it's something that you need to see within yourself. Maybe it's something that reminds you of someone from the past. Maybe it's um, just really learning about, um, you know, the type of person that you're going to resonate with. But, But I tend to say, no matter what the situation, if there's something that stirs us or gets under our skin, there's always something to be learned. <laughs> so whether it's about a person or a situation or whatever, 
that stirring is our cue that, oh, gosh, I have something to learn. Your website is um, thesoulhealthmodel.com or katherinetkelly.com. Okay. And there's so and, many great oh, things on that, that thank website. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for soulfully nurturing us today. Oh, Absolutely. my goodness. It was so special. Wonderful. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Have a great book tour. Uh-huh. Oh, thank you. It's been very exciting. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.